We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. And today we are joined en français, that's my only attempt at French I'm going to do today, by the wonderful <laughs> Ian Moore. Bonsoir. Bonsoir, Bonsoir. And that's the only <laughs> French I'm going to do as well. So that's, that's that out of the way. Are you fluent though? You must be by now. Uh, listen, you know how uh, Harry Houdini died. You know, you know that that story of him. Anybody could punch him in the stomach, but somebody mm-hmm. caught him unawares. I'm a bit like that with French. I am, <laughs> I am fluent, but if somebody sneaks up on me and talks, then I will probably just fall apart in a heap. That's so. You know, I just don't like to be tested. Especially if they punch you in the stomach at the yeah, same time. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know the French for punch in the stomach. That ironically, so that that was a very bad analogy, really. <laughs> Well, all right, Frankie, cancel the French quiz that we've got at the end. <laughs> we, had a, yeah, we had verbs and nouns quiz for you, but <laughs> save that for later. <laughs> well, before we get into the quiz, we're not really doing a quiz. We were just discussing before we started recording how we don't, we don't like quizzes. We don't want to no, be quizzed we're off anymore. Quizzes. No, off no. quizzes. And on to just nice, relaxing good times and chats chats which... with no points awarded at the end that's the kind of that's the kind of conversation Perfect. i want <laughs> and that's the kind Deal. of podcast we are so right, that's good. welcome uh sarah you're going to read out a bio but first of all she's going to say the inevitable catchphrase of <laughs> frankie wrote this so yeah, any problems with it direct them at her <laughs> and actually second okay. disclaimer I was absolutely <laughs> horrified when Frankie sent this to me because I opened it and went, I don't know how to pronounce 50% of these words. So yes. my apologies oh. when I butcher the French language for a okay. start. But it's going to make your quiz result look way better by comparison. So everybody's <laughs> happy. Yeah. yeah, you'll definitely win. Okay, <laughs> let's get this shit show over. Go for it, Sarah. <laughs> Ian Moore is a leading comedian and TV radio performer. He is also the best-selling author of the best-selling Foley Valley series, which is includes... best-selling in there twice. My bad. Yeah, bad best-selling was pronounced brilliantly twice. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Never let it be said. It doesn't take me more than two attempts. Which includes Death and Croissants and Death and Fromage, as well as two memoirs on life in France, A la Mode and Same Modnifique. <laughs> the Man Who Didn't Burn launches a thriller new crime series for Ian, less cosy but no less appealing. A killer, a saint, a town full of whispers. When English expat Graham Singletary is brutally murdered, his charred corpse left on the Loire Valley hillside, the police turn to <laughs> huge destruction. <laughs> Matthew Lombard to right. find the perpetrator. <laughs> Instead, Lombard discovers a wealth of secrets, grudges, and feuds in the idyllic town of San Genese sur Loire. He begins to suspect that the remaining members of the Comite de Fate know more about Singletary's death than they are letting on. But rather than towards an arrest, each clue he uncovers seems to point in one unexpected direction Joan of Arc. Is the answer to Singletary's murder hiding in the barroom gossip of the Lion Door or in another century altogether? 
Outside of writing, Ian lives in rural France and commutes back to the UK every week, balancing his other lives as a farmhand, chutney maker and a Basil Fawlty impersonator. <laughs> He's also very funny, charming and has an uncanny, uncanny ability to wrangle goats. Wow. Sarah. Well, that was, that was a magnificent effort, Sarah. Well done. Well, well Thank done. Thank you. That was. That I, was I, do you know what? I actually report. wish. I actually wish my <laughs> character was a judge of destruction, because that, <laughs> that, that would make. Like it would definitely be out in the Marvel universe by now as a multi-billion-pound epic. That feels like you know when you get counterfeit goods, where there's like Judge Dread <laughs> and then there's Judge <laughs> Destruction is the knockoff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just going to throw it out there. If you need someone for the audiobook, clearly I'm your woman. You're next on the list, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well done, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a trier. Could you just maybe correct my pronunciation of Judge Destruction? <laughs> judge Destruction. No, I'm sticking with that. I, 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 that's definitely that's definitely going in for the next one. It's a, 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 a Matthew Lombard or Matthew Lombard. It, it can be both because he's half English, half French. Mm. He's a juge d'instruction, which is um, <laughs> an investigating magistrate in, in France. It's a very it's a very different system to the UK <laughs> in that. The the investigating magistrate, which is Lombard, he controls the police investigation from a potentially prosecuting view. He's like the he's like the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, but they direct the police investigation so that there shouldn't be any gaps in the case when it comes to court. That's that's how it works. So it's a very different system, like I say, to the UK. It's once it reaches court in the UK. And the US, the the court system is an adversarial system. So you have prosecuting and defence, and whoever wins the argument, that's that's how the the judgment is made. Whereas in France, it's an inquisitorial system. So they have basically gathered the evidence enough beforehand that there shouldn't need to be any questioning, really. Which is why the juge d'instruction is kind of independent role above the police, and he directs the investigations which is why he decides on who mm. gets destroyed exactly at the end of exactly it. as, a, all as the facts. a judge Obviously. of destruction he yes. just mm. he goes around and points at villages and they just explode and that's mm. how it works <laughs> yeah definitely it sounds yeah. like it might be slightly similar to the italian system I think it i'm is. literally yeah. drawing on my amanda knox trial knowledge here but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that worked out well for the system over there. Um, <laughs> yes, Jesus. Yes. Uh, it is. I think it is a similar system uh, in that in that the judges control the investigation. I think. I think I got that from uh, the uh, Inspector Montalbano stuff, where he always has to report to nice. his investigating magistrate above as well. So it is quite similar. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Wow. So from, from that bio, obviously you a lot a lot of very impressive stuff on there. But so you've gone from the cosier side of crime with lovely yeah. cheese and lovely croissants into a much darker, grittier side of it. How come and what inspired that shift for you? Um, well, it was always there beforehand. It's just that it, I tried to self-publish it and it just didn't work because I didn't I didn't realise naively that self-publishing requires far more work than just just writing is there's more work in self-publishing than there is in the actual writing side and i just didn't have the 
will. <laughs> just the will, just the <laughs> will to there. live, yeah. to, to do all of that. I don't have, I don't have that side of me. I'm not, I'm just not pushy enough. So that story was always there. And I started writing the cozy stuff because I wanted to write something that I wanted to read at the time. And the, the world, it seemed to me, was and still is absolutely falling apart. And I wanted to create a world that I could disappear into and enjoy <laughs> writing. And hopefully people would enjoy reading it as well. And, and, that, and that worked yeah. out really well. One of, one of, the, one of the proudest things of, of anything I've ever done in, in any kind of career I've had is that the Samaritans chose Death and Quasar as their, their book of the month. So that it's sent out Aww. to people to cheer them up, which is such a wonderful thing to have oh, you know, on, on your CV. But that's enough of cheering people up. I wanted to bring them down again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just thought, I thought, well, there's, I still liked the idea of the, of the judge of destruction, as, as you've explained. I still liked <laughs> the idea that he was so, that this role is so different to what we normally mm. know from, from police procedurals, that there was an interest in that. There's an interest in the kind of pace of life of France as well, in that you still have the speed of an investigation, but it feels slower, if, if, if that makes any sense at all. Yes. And so I, I just wanted to go back to it because it, it's, it's, that has been in my head now for, I'd say, 15 years, maybe longer. It's taken me wow. so long to get around to actually doing it properly and doing it well. And, and it, it really only came because the publisher pushed me to, to get back to it. So it was, you know. It was uh, it was a result of the success of the cozy, really. Mm, that's great, and it's good they encourage you to do it and not to not do it. <laughs> that's, yes, that's all. Yeah, at least they were positive. <laughs> oh, listen, I've had so many th- uh, encouragement from publishers telling me not to do stuff. It was nice. <laughs> it was nice to have it the other way around for once. Yeah, I would think as well. Coming from stand-up comedy. You must have a pretty thick skin, right? You know, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what sensitive flowers as uh, <laughs> as stand up. You're still male, are. I guess. And the, and the thing is, also, is that the the biggest difference, that, and the, one of the hardest things I found to adapt to was obviously when you're doing stand up, when you've written some stand up, you your feedback your feedback obviously is immediate it's it's there mm. right in the second you know if it's good or bad because there's 400 <laughs> drunks in front of you going to let you know pretty damn sharp <laughs> whether they like what you said or not whereas obviously publishing takes months and months and months to to get any kind of feedback at all yeah. so that was that was a it still is a really difficult thing to 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 deal with because i mean i've spent was it nearly thirty years as a comedian? So I'm, I'm, I have no level of patience whatsoever. <laughs> None. Yeah. But a lot of writing talent. So that's very kind. That's very kind of you. That it's, helps. It, it does, and it also, you know, I mean, stand up is writing, but you're going mm. out and then performing it as well. But it's a very different. It's such a different discipline. Um, it doesn't feel like the same job even though they're both writing essentially it doesn't feel like mm. the same the same role at all it almost feels mm. like you're using a different part of your head and it's a different it's a different way of doing it as well i don't know if you can see in the background here but there's there's chalkboards and stuff in my office yeah. here mm. and when i'm doing when i'm writing stand up i literally write standing up i walk along and i and i make notes on the <laughs> chalkboard so i'm getting the rhythm of the material as I'm producing it, so it, it takes less editing when you're on stage, so you don't have to waste time, you know, not making people laugh. You <laughs> hopefully, hopefully go straight to the laugh. 
Whereas with with um, with books, I just sit at my desk. You know, it's a very different thing. Interesting. And is it a different process between writing the cosy crime and the less cosy crime, should we call it, or is that all very much the destructive the crime? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a similar discipline, but my I've, my expectations of what I can produce during the day are very different. But I think the plotting has to be tighter with destructive crime. I think that um, <laughs> I'm sticking with that. It, it, has to, it has to be tighter. I think the because it's a police procedural, effectively, everything has to be properly researched. Everything, you know, yeah. so my word count, for instance, per day, I got quite, when I, I just started writing, well, I'm halfway through writing the second um, Lombard one, and I, and I was quite down on myself that my my word count was was less than half of what it normally is when I'm writing the cozy, for instance, or, or in in the morning. But I just realised that that's the way it is. It's a, it's a slower process. I, it's not breezy. It's a, it's the same way as you read it. It's not. It doesn't flow. Uh, it it flows, but it doesn't. It just doesn't come as easily. You know. So it's, mm. it is a slightly different process in that regard. Yeah. Do you have a preference? Mm. Do I have a preference? Dare I ask? Yeah. It's um well I honestly right now now I've got into the second Lombard one I'm really enjoying writing it but then you know when I'll be writing the, after I finish this one I'll be writing the the fifth in the series of the Foley Valley ones and I'll be I'll I'll enjoy that you know it's it's a kind of yeah. it's what what the nice thing is although it's, it's 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 quite a lot to produce two series a year but mm. because they're so different then I can it does. I can, as long as I have a break in between the two, it does feel like I can enjoy both. Same, you know, and not feel the pressure. If it was all dark, I think I'd probably get a bit. I don't know. Probably, probably a bit down on myself reading about autopsies yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I can read about something else when I'm doing the cozy stuff, and it's it's very different. Yeah. And with the dark, the destructive <laughs> side, do you find that the ideas? Have, have, is it, that one's been with you for a long time. Is that the case for the whole series? Do you have a plan for how it's going to go or is it just kind of I've growing as you write? I've got ideas of cases, definitely. I've got ideas of cases. But as for Lombard and his development, that's, that is, I can't plan too far ahead because he's at a stage in his life where his wife's just died. He's, his job really hangs by a thread because of uh, a misunderstanding about tampering with evidence. So he has kind of emerged. He doesn't know where he's going. And I quite like the idea of writing somebody who doesn't know his own responses the next time something happens. So I, mm. I literally cannot plan too far ahead with Lombard. I can give cases, but I don't know personally where he's going to be when that's going to happen. That's quite exciting. It is. And, and I find it, and, and that's partly why it's a slightly slower process as well, because I'm, I'm, that's really weird. I'm not living his life. <laughs> But I'm Whoa. just, I'm just, I'm just judging people. I know, I know. I, I'm not that destructive. Um, I, I'm, I'm just trying to. I, I have to think about his responses really carefully about whether it fits into the character or not. So that I'm kind of not just planning it, but second guessing what he might do and whether that actually fits with what he would do. That's making right. it sound overcomplicated, but it's 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 it is. I don't know where he's going, and that's like you say, it's quite good fun. Yeah, and I'm sure it is complicated, as you say. It's you know, with especially with crime, it's a lot of threads you got to tie together and keep yeah. on track and things yeah. to remember. And I'm fascinated where the Joan of Arc connection came from for you. Where did that idea come from? 
I live in the area of where Lombard is set and, and Joan of Arc um, is still a big presence around here. I mean, my, my local wow. bar in town, the, the Leon door, Sarah, I, I loved the lion door, but it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> they, they, if you ask directions, you. you wouldn't get anywhere. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. End up at a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Leon door, they have, they have like a, a very old stone, I think it's a granite thing in, in the wall above the bar itself. Joan of Arc stopped there and had a I don't know had her armory tarted up or something something like that anyway but it's everywhere around this area Joan of Arc kind of has a presence and um, it just fitted really well especially with the English French thing mm. because of the because of Lombard's background because he's half English half French he's he's not properly trusted by either community and Joan of Arc has always been that that schism between the two so it just it works perfectly well in that regard. Mm. Very cool. Um, so we touched briefly on your writing process, yes. but a question we ask every author is what you enjoy most, but also least about the writing process. And we get some really varied answers to this one. Right. I can imagine you do. It's um, mm. what I enjoy most uh, at the moment anyway, because I've, like I said, I've spent, I've been in France for 20 years and mm-hmm. or ne- nearly 20 years. And for most of that time, I've been. You, you said at the top that I commute back every weekend. I really don't anymore. I just, I just I physically can't and mentally don't want to. It's just, yeah. just. <laughs> I've been doing that for, but I did it every weekend for nearly wow. seventeen years. And <laughs> I, I mean, look at me. I'm only, I'm only twenty-seven. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I, I just, I just had enough. I just had enough of it. It, it, it was too much. I enjoyed the time on stage. Um, I always enjoyed that, whether it went well or not. There was always a kind of um, excitement to it. But mm. everything around it, the hours and hours of traveling and waiting around, and the expense of traveling, I, it just it got to me. So what I enjoy most about the writing is that I am at home. Yeah, that is nice. that is the biggest thing for me. You know, yeah. I, it feels like for. For most of the time that I've lived in France, I've not really properly moved here because I've been commuting every week. Whereas now I, yeah. I feel like I have, and that that makes a big difference to just to my mental health as much as anything. Yeah, yeah I don't sense. know how you did it. I commute from Surrey to London <laughs> two days a week, and it kills me. It is. No. It's horrible commuting. And the thing about commuting yeah. is that your um, your thought processes are reduced to a timetable. And that that leaks into everything else in your life. Well, for me anyway, it, everything mm. I became so petty, <laughs> so so you know, just in, in a horribly minutiae way. That it, it was, you know, the first thing I do when I got home from from being on tour for three or four days was come home and open the fridge and start organising the fridge. I had to organise just, you know, just. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. Nuts, really. It sent me nuts. And to be fair, being on transport with other people is enough in itself to drive you insane. Oh, man, surely. Man, don't, please don't don't start. I was telling I was <laughs> saying that to somebody yesterday. Like I used to um as there was a there was a time when I could physically move that I if I finished gigs early enough in London on a Saturday night, I'd get the night bus back from <laughs> Victoria to Paris. And oh, that would no. take something like How long does that take? It's about fifteen hours. Just because oh, I wanted to, I just wanted to feel like I was moving rather than going back yeah. to the hotel. Yeah. And then having to wait to start moving, which is so I just had to feel like I was moving. And it but it was wow. a dread there were just I frankly what happened was I, I what I used to do is I used to 
go into Marks and Spencer's in Victoria Coach Station and buy loads of cans of pina colada and just get whacked out <laughs> of my face on the back of the bus. That was the only that was the only way I could cope with the whole experience. Wow. Dreadful. Just dreadful. Sounds quite good fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is the worst thing you've witnessed while traveling? Man alive. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there are, well, I'll give you an example. Being on being on one of those buses, it was I was just I was sitting on the aisle, and this woman across the aisle, she took her shoes off, and she just mm. she just put her legs across my lap. <gasps> oh said, no! Do you mind if oh I do you mind if I put my feet on your lap? Um, going, yes, yes, <laughs> obviously yes, yeah. yes, of course I do. Oh, horrendous. Just horrendous. Wow. That's harassment. I would have called the police. Just horrible. I I needed extra pina colada after that. That was was, was far too much. Yeah, right. No wonder you've turned to a darker side of life after these harrowing experiences. I don't blame you. Oh, just horrible. Just horrible. But the rest rest of the time, it's not really... It's not horrendous stories. It's just the monotony of it. It's the the yeah. endless sitting around and just waiting and being tired and you know yeah. travelling at cheaper time. So I would be on I'll be on train platforms at five o'clock in the morning, or I'd grab a couple of hours sleep at that bus station or that airport when I was younger and able to do that anyway. <laughs> and it just wears you out. Just wears you down. Yeah. No. Yeah. But that's the worst thing about that is, sorry, the, the best thing about writing now is that I don't yeah. have to do anything. And the worst? Yeah. I miss all that. That's the worst. I miss all that. <laughs> <laughs> you sick bastard. <laughs> I do I do <laughs> it's really the ladies have put their legs on me in ages. <laughs> exactly. I just I miss being a colada. <laughs> I think no, there is an element of me, a sadistic element of, of me that does miss a bit of that. I was working in in Vienna last week. I was I was hosting the World Theme Park Awards in Vienna. Wow! And, and it was amazing. It was fun Is to that be a real away. roller coaster. <laughs> a real roller coaster, exactly. And, and it was it was fun to be away. It was fun. it's not every week, so that it's it's not the same grind. It was mm-hmm. fun to be away for you know for two nights, and I spent most of Wednesday just wandering around Vienna and just. And that's how I like to relax is wandering around cities. I really enjoy doing that. Mm. So in a sense, although although the best thing about writing is staying at home, the worst thing is I don't <laughs> I don't go away very often. I'm just a very, very mixed up kid. <laughs> no pleasing Never some happy. people. No. Goodness. Do you only write when you're at home? You wouldn't have sat down in Vienna, for example, and I found a way of, I, I can create a bubble and I can, I can write anywhere. It doesn't That's noise great. or anything, the distractions don't bother me. And sometimes I seek out noise and people. If, if I get stuck writing, I'll take myself away from here and, and go and sit in a bar or get on the train sometimes, just getting on the train because it's so ingrained in me, this, this idea of yeah. travel. I'll get on a train to tour, which takes about an hour and, and just write on the train. Because it's kind of wow. the, the system, not the system, but the, the the idea of movement actually helps unblock sometimes mm. when, I'm, when I'm writing. Unblocking movements, yeah. that's important yeah, it's, sometimes. It's a, it's a different thing entirely. But. <laughs> and I'm curious as well, obviously now you've lived in France for a very long time, but you're still very much part of the English crime writing scene. 
Do you see a big difference between French and English readers across your books? Or uh, it's difficult to say. I mean, the the first cozy one was was translated into French, and I I knew they'd bought the rights, but why haven't? It's very odd because I got an email from French Amazon. This was a couple of years ago, around this time, a couple of years ago, saying, "Oh, there's a book going to be published in February. You might be interested in it." And it was my book. <laughs> I had I had no idea. That there was a release date or anything like that. At least the algorithm works, I guess. I know, exactly. yeah. I mean, they picked the right bloke, that's for sure. But yeah. I am interested. Yeah, it's very. It was. Um, it's bizarre. The French thing was was very bizarre because the first one was called Death and Croissant, so half the titles in French, and they completely yeah. changed the title. They changed it to "Un crime donné la chair de poule," a crime that gives you goosebumps. Which oh. is which is not catchy. Very different. <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't. It Very doesn't long. work. It <laughs> no. just doesn't work. And I did a couple of like um, festivals. I did a salon de Polar, which is a which is a, a whodunit festival, basically. And I did a lecture in yeah, not work. I tell you that much. I did, I did a lecture <laughs> in French about what about what constitutes a cozy crime book because it, it's quite a new thing over here although you know hmm. people like mc beaton and um julia chapman uh, sj bennett they're, they're very big over here mm. so i did this I, I kind of did this lecture on what constitutes cozy and you know all well, the murders take place off screen there's no there's no great forensic detail they tend to be amateur investigators and they're just kind of looking at me like you know you know you uh, and I, I said, and another rule of cozy is that there's no, there's no sex. And they just all went, ah, you mean it's English? Okay, now we get it. <laughs> oh, oppressed, repressed yes, people. Yes. Right. No, uh, no yeah, yeah, emotion. Yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. <laughs> no intimacy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's pretty Amazing. funny. <laughs> I guess that's true. I never thought about it, but yeah. It is. It, it, the, the, it is there, isn't it? There's a lot of repression yeah. in, in cozy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, which is why it's always so interesting, I think, when particularly with things like people like Agatha Christie, which is arguably cosy-ish in places. Well, uh, obviously anyway. the Agatha Christie um, estate really resent that, don't they? they really... Yeah, because they're sexing it up at every turn or they're trying to yes. with some of the modern adaptations. Yeah. Like, they're like, whoa, we're I seeing blood. Exactly. We're seeing, I don't, like, what I don't going think on? Dame Agatha was thinking along those lines, you know. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. But yeah, no, it's, it's fast. That's a really, I hadn't really thought of that distinction before. That's no. really interesting. Mm. And as you said, you touched on there with with the other couple of times, like the forensic kind of detail and things like that. Obviously, you've got a lot more of that going on in The Man Who Didn't Burn from, you know, yeah. he's obviously very involved in the case. How do you go about the research for all of those dark, horrible it's, things? A lot of it's <laughs> online. A lot of it is online yeah. research. But with the with the second book that I'm writing now, uh, I've got a friend who is uh, a scientist and she deals with a lot of papers that come out that on testing and so she she can point me in the oh, right cool. direction of where to go she's helped enormously with the second book which there, there is a, a fair amount more of the forensic stuff in the second book than there was in the first so oh, cool. yeah that's you a good need friend to, to have. really yeah. Oh, yeah oh yeah you know and again just pure luck she was a fan of the cozy stuff so we oh. she followed me on twitter and 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 then I just asked her and she said, oh, yeah, please, I'd love to get involved in that. So. I was hanging outside labs, just hoping to make, make friends show, with anyone. Showing a bit of leg outside a lab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just with a book, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Whatever works. Yep. Yeah. 
Are we allowed to know anything about the second book or is it still too early? It's a bit too early at the moment. I can tell you how it starts. And that is a a headless corpse washes up (gasps) on on the banks of the River Loire, right in the centre of Tours. That's how it starts. Intrigued. Uh, But why it's headless when it's still got ID on it, that's that's the story behind it. Why would you do that? Mm. Why would you do that? Can't wait. Unless you're a really bad murderer, and I haven't thought this through at all. (laughs) (laughs) That could just be the twist, is that they're just really bad at murdering. Just a really shit murderer. (laughs) And it's over in two chapters. (laughs) Wow, a novella, if you will. (laughs) Job done. Hey, whatever works for you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm guessing as well, with all your travel and everything like that, you're probably quite a big reader. Is that fair to say? Very big reader. I can't I can't not have a book on the go. Yeah. I can't, you know, I can't go to sleep at night without a book. Sometimes it's an audio book if I'm just too tired, but there's always something going on. I mean, I get sent mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of books now on the cozy side of things that, you know, people who want um, a cover quote or something like that. Mm. I get sent a lot of that and I probably take on too much. You probably find my name on 90% of cozies <laughs> that are coming out. I'm going to go to the bookshop tomorrow and have a look. <laughs> it's between you and um, our good friend Chris Whitaker, who is the, bl- the biggest blurb whore I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god, I can't. I want walk. that title. I want blurb whore. In fact, it's just like this book is great. Ian Moore blurb whore. That's what blurb I want. Yeah. Does it rhyme? You've got your well? ankles out there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Okay, well, that's something to aim for. Right now, you're just a bit blurb slutty. You need to really commit. (laughs) We can work on that. Um, So what, with all of your reading that you do endlessly, what was the last book that you read and loved? I wrote this down. (gasps) Well done. Now, I'm going to go, because I've got to, because I I kind of, I'll have books that have been sent to me and I have that on the go. And then I have a book Uh um, that I've chosen to read, if you like. So the last, Mm. I've got two. Bird Spotting in a Small Town by Sophie Morton Thomas, which Ooh. is out in February. And that's a really kind of bleak, small town, really kind of claustrophobic story about regret. Um, but the, the detail in it and the, the use of language in it is just amazing. It's absolutely really fantastic book. So that, that one comes out in February. Um, I look forward to that. The other one uh, is Ministry of Fear by Graham Greene, which I absolutely loved. I, my wife bought me that for for no reason whatsoever, I think, actually. Just a nice, nice wife. Yeah. Uh, and I <laughs> nice. loved that. I loved that. I'd seen the film beforehand, so I kind of knew the story, but the book is so brilliantly written. Great tips. Do you Excellent. tend to read, if you're not quoting or blurbing, whoring about with blurbs, do you tend to read crime or do, are there other genres that you tend to gravitate towards? I tend to read crime. Oh, certainly I did. I'm trying to branch out a little bit from that because it's just become a bit one-paced, really. It's all become me just, just reading crime and I want to read I want to read other things. I want to get back into mm. biographies and film history mm. especially so I can do better at Adam's quizzes. <laughs> I want to get back to, I want to sort of spread my wings a little bit more than I have been doing. I want to do fewer mm. quotes. I want to, you know, just have more choice in, in what You're never going to be a whore with that attitude. I'm oh, just no, going to say I, it from I, now. I'm just a part-time <laughs> whore. I'm, I'm Catherine Deneuve. That's why. Just an afternoon whore. <laughs> that's very French. <laughs> <laughs> Those are great tips, though. Good recommendations. We'll have to check those out. Very exciting. Yeah. Sarah, 
It's not time yet, is it? Surely. Is it time? Oh, surely not. What's this? I think oh. it's time. <laughs> before, before, before we get to the, the last bit, I just want to ask you, can you tell, because we, we casually alluded to it in the bio about you wrangling goats. <laughs> and I kind of feel like that needs a little bit more explanation for well, so someone. Someone is going like, are they really not going to talk about the goat the, thing? I wrote that a long time ago as, as part of a, a, a bio for, for being a stand-up. The, the thing about being a stand-up is um, if you're in London, for instance, you could be doing on a Friday or Saturday night, you could be doing three or four gigs a night and you turn up. And then you'd rush off to the next place, the dumb, uh, and then you'd rush, you'd rush off to the next place. And a lot of comedians were actually, a lot of, you know, all of us would say, well, has such and such talked about this? Cause I don't want to do that subject if that's been done. Nobody else was talking about making chutney in France or having to deal with their goats. So I knew that wherever I went, <laughs> I, nobody else had done the same, same kind of material topics that I was going to do. But it's true. Uh, we have goats. I don't like them. They don't like me. It's a very, <laughs> very ambivalent relationship. And they just, they just escape all the time. Literally, literally last week, I was, I think I was on the phone to somebody and the, the, the doorbell rang. And we've got neighbors who don't live there very often. They only come down every few weeks. And he said, he leaned over the gate. He said, Your goat's in my garden. <laughs> and, you know, and you've got, she's got to deal with this. So I had to go and get the goat. You know, I had to go and wrangle the goat. Would you say it really gets your goat? It, it does really get my goat. I, if anybody else wants to get my goat, I, they can have them. They're free. Let's say that. Sounds like a gruff ride. I'm going to stop with the puns. But you like puns because I've, I've seen the titles of your, your memoir writings and modern yes. puns. Yeah, they're being re-released next year. They are. That's exciting. With a change of title and everything, um, change of covers. Still and a pun? It's st- no, well, in a way, <gasps> the first one, it's not called Alamod anymore. It's called Vive la Chaos. Viva Destruction should be the next one, Viva right? Destruction would be a great <laughs> title for the, for the second one. Um, yep. So, yeah, so they're coming out as well. I'm literally, I'm going to, you won't be able to go around Waterstones without seeing my name on something. <laughs> I have a special department. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Its own category Ian on the Moore, shelves. Third floor. There you go. That's a- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ian Moore recommends floors five, six, and seven. <laughs> nice. I want one more question before I get into the, the, the darker side of this podcast. What Going into this, for people that may have read your cozy crime and have this a little bit darker, what's something that you want people to know or not know going into picking up your new book, The Man Who Didn't Burn? There's still elements of humour in it. I think the the yeah. the thing about the cozy ones is they are they are comedy as much as they are crime. They are. I think they stand alone on their own in in terms of you could take the comedy out. There'd still be decent cases. But there is still humour in the man who didn't burn because I don't think there's anything where there isn't there isn't yeah. a situation in the world where there isn't humour. People aren't like that. There is all, whether it's dark humour or or, what, or just how people a defence mechanism, whatever. There is still some humour in there. It's not as um, full on as it is with the cosies, but there is some humour there, and it's still you learn about a different side of France. It's not all sunny and long lunches as one reviewer said it's um you know there is a dark side to it and it's nice to it's nice to know that you know it's not it's not a fairyland it's not a theme park but you know who has the best theme park having just hosted those awards so yes i do i know and it's local (laughs) is it it is yeah it's in france it is yeah puy de fou about an hour and a half away from here magnificent wow who knew 
other than Ian Moore. <laughs> Ian Moore and yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, now we're gonna go to the dark stuff. Right. So Yay. And it's a real shame, actually, Ian Moore, that I have to confront you about this on the okay. podcast. <laughs> All right. Because, yeah, I mean, you know what you did. You've committed a terrible, heinous crime, Ian. Right. So Probably. terrible. It's about time you know, well, I was definitely, caught Definitely, right? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> terrible, so heinous, so destructive in nature yeah. that, unfortunately, you got caught and then you've been sentenced to death. I know. Mm. Listen, Almost, I think that's really. a small price to pay for what I did. Well, what did you do? I have no idea, but I'm willing, I'm willing to hold my Confess. hands up to it. I just need a rest. If that means, if that means, <laughs> if that means death, I'm willing to take that on. Eternal rest. Very <laughs> yeah. appealing. Okay. Wow. Maybe, maybe you had enough of the goat wrangling. Maybe you snapped yeah. one day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a lady tried to put her feet on well, you and you maybe, just ripped them maybe off. Maybe this is the goat here. Maybe this, this furry <gasps> thing is what's like that. Crimes that against not goats. Really, it's not really. It's not real. <laughs> very defensive yeah. very quick yeah I know, I know. I gave myself away there <laughs> okay, okay well, well that's probably the darkest crime that we've ever had on here so. <laughs> do you know what that is and we've had like straight up murder I think <laughs> real people <laughs> yeah a lot of confessions on I this podcast I don't think I've ever done that I don't not, not, not knowingly I mean that's in a sense that's I mean that's how I started writing the cosies because I I set up a Bed and breakfast here. It was a kind of post-Brexit safety net in case I couldn't Aww. travel or, or or get French nationality or whatever. So we set up a, a what they call a chambre d'hôte, which is what the character in the in the cosies is. He he, yeah. he looks after mm. a and B, and that's where the idea came from. Because I couldn't, I feel that it would have been really bad for my TripAdvisor rating if I'd actually killed people. So mm. what yeah, I did have any was, ratings, was come up with fictional. Uh, ways of getting rid of my guests. So, so there <laughs> yeah. is that. There is murder. Like There's always murder in my head. But that's <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Especially sat on the back of a bus necking pina coladas. I could go anyway, couldn't it? That's the thing. Because you sit on the back of the bus for the pina coladas and you sit like that. Proper man, <laughs> proper man spreading on the back seat so that nobody comes near you. Nobody. Yeah. I love that. I think that was yeah. what Darren Brown always said. If I, I think if you don't want people to sit next to you, be very like passing your lap being like, come on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you really Inviting. have. Yeah. <laughs> Rubbing your thighs like Vic Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> and the people are like, oh my God, isn't that blow poor Ian Moore at the back of the bus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very exciting. Right. Well, hor- horrendous crime aside and impending death aside, there is some good news to this. Right. In so much as we're going to give you the death row meal of your dreams before Yay. you're sentenced. Hooray. Great news. What would your death row meal be? See, I've been I've spent far too much time to, today thinking about this. And <laughs> I was trying to is that work out. the chalkboard's out, covered yeah, in notes. There's and- like, whole recipes down there. Of course. <laughs> I was, and I, th- I couldn't work out whether I'd want to be really alert Mm. or really sort of so heavy after a big meal that I just, you know, probably death would have been a, you know, a a welcome. (laughs) And and I've gone for the latter. So I've gone for a proper, proper massive carvery, uh, a roast with like three different meats and and Yorkshire puddings and roast potatoes and and broccoli sprouts, carrots, loads of gravy, just a massive, great, you know, proper Henry VIII type platter. Turkey pick legs. Up, pick up a turkey leg and just, you know, yes. just, uh, 
and it, it was probably not like that. That's definitely wrong. Um, uh, so that was, uh, and then Profiteroles afterwards, just to, just to really knock me sideways. So that I, like, you know, like I said, death death would lose its sting after all of that. Mm. I mean, it sounds like there's a risk of choking or at least something well, happening. If that I go take halfway through, that, then that's all to the good. <laughs> Even better. It's a dream, to be honest. Death by Carvery. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is that I had a next cosy crime. <gasps> Death by Carvery. Oh, hey, I'm writing that down. Yeah. Death and Carvery. Yeah. Death and look Carvery. Uh, instead of cosy crime, could it be charcuterie crime? <laughs> oh. No? Sorry. Okay, well. No, I'm going to write that down as well, that. actually. <laughs> take, take it, please. Go on, Sarah, save it. Okay, so, I mean, amazing, first of all. We're in Carvery now. Mm. You've had your Carvery and very sad, you're dead. But one final piece of good news. Delivered with all the sensitivity yes. of a, ju- yes. of a judge of that. destruction. D- d- you're thanks dead. for that eulogy. and done but we will bury you with the book of your choice so what more could you want what book are you taking with you right again i spent (laughs) so much time (laughs) thinking about this today um i have the favorite books so i'm going to take my first favorite book the book that i think probably means more to me and in in terms of how it shaped who i am and my interests (laughs) in life uh it would be bring on the empty horses by david niven Oh, that is that okay. is David Niven is my all-time hero. Um, I love I love the start of writing. It got me into old Hollywood. It it cheers me up. That it just cheers me up. And I, I've had it. I've had the books. I've obviously got the books, but I've also got, I had them on audio cassette when I was mm. ten. Oh wow! And I've got them on CD, and I've now got them on download, and I've got them on Audible. They are they are with me wherever I go. Yeah. <sighs> Does he read any of them? Yeah, he does. He does. They are read. Oh. He reads them. And unfortunately, they're abridged. So you haven't got the whole book, but it's still three and a half hours of magnificence in yes. Bring on the Empty Horses. And you've also got The Moons of Balloon, which he read as well. Um, but it's Bring on the oh. Empty Horses oh. is the first one that I came across. And it just Brilliant it just changed choice. my life. Wow. What a lovely way to go out. Roast dinner, <laughs> lovely books. It couldn't be more English, could it? Considering I'm in the middle of France, it could not be more English. Yeah. That is true. But if you want, we can we could have executed yeah. you by guillotine or something to keep it French, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> if you could we'll chop you, the like meat Joan. on the carvery by guillotine, that would be great. Perfect. Yeah. Very okay. practical method. Multicultural. Yeah, you really are. Wow. One nation. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, post-Brexit, we need to cling to what we can, right? Absolutely. To keep yeah. this together. Yeah. Wow. Ian, thank you so much. It's been such a delight to chat to thank you. you. Thank it's you. Thank you for it. Fun. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Where can people find you to follow you on the internet? Uh, my website is www.ianmore.info, but I'm on mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, YouTube. <laughs> Modern, threads, but I'm not allowed to use threads because I'm European, so that I'm it won't let me, oh, it won't let me post really? or follow anything or comment. But I'm on all of them. It generally Ian Moore author. If you look that out, then I'm on all this. You're even on TikTok, right? I am on TikTok. I forgot about that. I forgot about TikTok. I haven't worked it out yet. I have not worked it out at all. But yeah, I'm on TikTok as well. 
Very well, good. Well, you're putting me to shame because Frankie ran through the social media platforms that we're on last time we recorded and she Didn't missed the Blue Sky. And I went, what the fuck's Blue Sky? <laughs> I'm just going to start messing with you now and be like, we're on Rivets. Just start we're making on a new one up every Bell. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, Are you on Blue Sky as well then? We're on Blue Sky. It's very yeah. quiet over there, isn't it? It's very it's, quiet. It's like it's really like Sunday <laughs> afternoon lock-in in a pub, isn't it? There's there's nothing yeah. <laughs> making any noise whatsoever. No, it's nice that it's quiet in a way, yeah. but it's a little too quiet. I think maybe once X finally dies a death, it maybe yeah, it's it'll get getting close. It's noisier. flapping around like a fish on a beach at the moment. Isn't it? So it's, <laughs> someone uh, stamp on it and put put it out of its misery. Jesus, it exactly. Give it some carvery. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And Sarah, where can people mm. follow us? On the, the aforementioned Blue Sky is one. Yes. Well, apparently we're on um, Instagram, X, Blue Sky, Threads, um, pretty Facebook. much everywhere at Red and Buried Podcast. Pretty or much. you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com or our website is redandburiedpodcast.com. I'm impressed you through the website. Do you know what? Well done. It's only taken a Ian two years to, to know. Shame. It's only taken a two years to know that we have a website. So well done, Sarah. I'm not great with the behind the scenes or the in front of the scenes. Or any scenes, yeah. No, no. But Ian, thank you again. Everyone oh, go you. and buy yes. The Man Who Didn't Burn. Remind me of the publication date. I'm so sorry. It's, it's, um, it's October the 12th. Yeah, it's <gasps> October the 12th. Perfect come around really quickly it's just everything's going so fast yeah well (laughs) deadlines as douglas adams said deadlines i love deadlines i love (laughs) the the whoosh noise they make as they go past so yeah (laughs) it's it's feeling very much like that (laughs) well it's all going to be worth it because you've been putting in the work you're on all the podcasts you're doing everything so Um, yeah that's great It's, it's good fun as well i enjoy that i mean it's friday night and you know i don't normally go out so I'm actually out. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm in my yeah. office. I don't normally go out on a Friday night. It's Is there a pina like colada that we can't see? I've got, I've got Coca-Cola in my in my merch mug. <laughs> Love the merch mug. <laughs> very, very good. Oh, well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back very soon with another episode. And until then, au revoir. Au revoir. Merci, au revoir. <laughs> oh, bye. Judge of destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, my name is Tony Black, podcaster and author, and I'm here to tell you about Partisan, a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment. I'll be joined by guests as we discuss films, TV shows, and maybe a little bit more, examining political and historical topics, such as how Elvis intersects with black cultural history. In Lerman's film, the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of they're used as catalysts to basically move Elvis forward in his career. I think that that's how I saw it. The rise and fall of Richard Nixon. It seems to be historians who to agree with this is that he was the first president that really capitalized on the evangelical vote and politicized them. The disturbing class satire in society and much, much more. Partisan is free to download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Partisan Pod. I hope you'll vote with your feet and join us on the journey. Partisan.